0: This is Undisciplined. I'm Matthew LaPlante. If you do a Google image search for the words research lab group, and you scroll past the inevitable stock images of diverse smiling people in white lab coats looking down at microscopes and Petri dishes, what you're going to find is a bunch of images from the web pages of research labs from all over the place. And you're going to see a lot of men who are overwhelmingly represented in research labs. You're also going to see a lot of people of Asian descent, who also tend to be overrepresented in research labs. When Athena Castro thinks about the makeup of research spaces, she sees a paradox. Asian women are simultaneously overrepresented as Asian Americans and underrepresented as women. Castro says that for Asian American female doctoral students, the complex layering and weaving of these identities involves a constant process of negotiation, a process that she explores in a new study in the journal Science Studies and Science Education. The title of the article is Asian American Women in STEM in the Lab with White Men Named John. And we're going to get to the significance of the title in a little bit here. But first, Athena Castro, welcome to Undisciplined.
1: Thank you so much. What a pleasure to be here.
0: Let's start this conversation by talking about the status of women in STEM. Because a quick look at the number of earned doctorates is really promising, I think. Women earn more than 55% of doctoral degrees. But that hides something when it comes to STEM degrees, doesn't it?
1: Yes, that's that's really true. The number of women in STEM fields really varies by field. And so when you look at this survey of earned doctorates, you see that overall, women tend to earn about 25 to 30% of doctoral degrees. But when you look at the breakdown by fields, most of the women are in the life sciences, and they get significantly smaller. Like you said, 55% roughly in biology and other life sciences. And then as you get into physics, computer science, it goes down to about 17%. That's pretty dismal.
0: So in some fields, 17%, to put this into context, for every five people in a lab group, there's one woman.
1: Right. And there are many women who are in their labs. They, They may be the only. And that's a it's a very isolating experience for a lot of women to be the only in their in their group or or even in their department sometimes.
0: And because of this underrepresentation, not to mention the historic prejudices against them, women are often subjected to a lot of challenges in the STEM workplace.
1: That's true, and sadly, harassment of women in stem um is really well documented I as I was talking with the women I didn't hear anything that was surprising which is really sad when you think about it
0: it that is sad I mean like you would want to be you you would want your base expectation to be that people are being nice to one another, right?
1: Right, right, absolutely. But what we found is what the research tells us and what's, again, really well-documented harassment in the workplace. The lab group, the lab, these are their, their homes, their workplace, where they spend an enormous amount of time with people who are potentially um, making jokes, comments, to make it a really uncomfortable place for them to be.
0: You wrote about some of these experiences in your paper, and some of this is really just abjectly awful behavior. And then there are all of these microaggressions, too. You, you wrote about a participant in your research named Samantha who told a story about how a male faculty member introduced his advisees, one male and one female. Can you tell that story?
1: Yeah, yeah, that was a really interesting story. And so Samantha was talking about a, a research uh, presentation that she had gone to, and this faculty member had two students, one male and one female. And when he introduced his female student, he talked about how she was really good at baking things and coordinating events for the group and just making life in the lab really more pleasant. And then when he talked about his male student, he talked about his research contributions and what great research he had done. So you could see that they're complementary, but for one, he focused on the male student, he focused on research. And for the female student, he talked about how great she was at baking things. I mean, that's <laughs> that's just not what you want to be complimented on, right? As a scientist, you want to talk about the merit of your contributions and your
0: research. I feel like we need to have like a portmanteau of of the words like unsurprising and also infuriating because this is both of those things. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. And and that's so that's one of the things. And then what another of the things is just like the sort of like presumption that uh, female lab members are potential romantic partners. Mm
1: hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, one student, well, several students talked about that specifically. One in particular that I talked about in the article, Michelle, she was so frustrated that her lab mates didn't see her creativity as a scientist, again, and her potential contributions. They really saw her as a potential romantic interest, somebody that they would date. In fact, I was just talking to somebody yesterday about their experience being introduced to their lab group and uh, and she's Chinese American. And one person said, oh, I've never been with a Japanese woman before. <gasps> so, you know, that's just horrifying. And this is her introduction to the group. So, you know, this is the kind of thing that some of these women really deal with, especially if you're the only female in the group. So for her, it was incredibly frustrating and infuriating. And it seemed like she was on a daily basis, kind of fighting this sort of thing. And, you know, that takes such a huge emotional toll.
0: That's just, that's awful. It's it's lecherous and it's racist at the same time. I mean, uh-huh. like this is, but these are stories that you heard again and again from these, the, the people that you interviewed for this study, which, and, and let's add this other layer to it now, because these are women in STEM, so they're underrepresented. But meanwhile, They hold this other sort of prejudicial identity. Asian Americans make up about 6% of the American population, but they earn about a quarter of the graduate degrees awarded in STEM fields. And there are all these stereotypes about expectations and excellence and intelligence and emotion that go along with being an Asian person in STEM as well. That's a lot to carry into balance. It really is.
1: And then, as you said, there's all these different layers because on the one hand, as an Asian American, as you said, Asian Americans are overrepresented in STEM fields relative to their population. On the other hand, as an Asian American woman, you're underrepresented as a female. And then you put all these other stereotypes in there about model minority. Um, And then stereotypes of Asian American women being subservient, obedient, exotic. And then you have this other stereotype of women in general who are low performers in STEM. So it's really this, just a confluence of so many different stereotypes sort of colliding with each other. And it leaves women, again, at this place, this really interesting place of having to navigate all of that as they're trying to do their research complete their degrees, and be good scientists.
0: Which is hard for anyone in any circumstance, we should say. I mean, like PhD programs, graduate programs, postdoctoral fellowships, all of these things are really difficult and challenging to begin with, even if you didn't have to balance all of these things together.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think, you know, when you think about the doctoral journey and the amount of time that it takes and the research and all of the different steps, because you're, you're navigating, you know, systems. Science, when you think about it, is really a system. It has its own cultures, attitudes, behaviors that you have to try to fit yourself into to be successful, or at least that's what these women are told, is that you have to behave a certain way to be successful in this
0: field. This paradox you write about in your study, I guess to be really reductionist about it, you have this very complex intersection of identity, but sort of we could say that like Asian American women in STEM, they're simultaneously discounted as women, but they have more expected of them as asian americans but i wanted to make the point here this doesn't just balance itself out this isn't one good prejudice and one bad prejudice these are prejudices and it creates a really hard space for these scientists to navigate
1: oh absolutely i mean when you think about stereotypes in general especially with asian americans i mean we're we're dealing with a lot of that now when you look at the landscape of where we are with all of the rise in in hate crimes against Asian Americans. I mean there's there's so many stereotypes and not even just the model minority, right? And and model minority is even though it's a positive stereotype, it causes a lot of stress for Asian Americans. There's a lot of research that talks about Uh, the pressure to succeed, because what if you don't fit the model minority stereotype? Um, And so it's really challenging for students to navigate that because you're automatically assumed to be really good at math, innately good at math and science. And then you have this other sort of image of being robotic, overly involved that some of this other research has talked about. And so really subhuman in some ways. And then you, you look at the forever foreigner stereotype, the yellow peril, the deviant minority, those are all stereotypes that are attributed to Asian Americans. You're never American because you're foreign. We see that now. Um, You know, when you think about the standard of American as white American, then Asian Americans never fit in. They are never American enough, regardless of when your family was here, regardless of whether or not your family's been here for generations. So, it's really challenging to be in this place, I think, for Asian American students.
0: One of the study participants, um, you referenced her earlier, Michelle, said she often hears the words, You're not what I expect from an Asian girl. Like, mm-hmm. she wasn't a scientist, first and foremost, to her colleagues. She was an Asian girl, like, whatever that means. There's really no way to fulfill anybody's expectations if their expectation is Asian girl, because that doesn't really even mean anything.
1: Right. And I think it's, you know, there's been a lot of research on this as well. When you think about, you know, the stereotypes of Asian American women, obedient, subservient, dutiful daughter, Um, and you contrast that with exotic, you know, that those kinds of different stereotypes. And so Michelle was fairly outspoken. She called out, racism, racist comments and jokes when she heard it. People would accuse her of trying to be white and she would kind of answer them back. And so I think she just didn't fit their expectation of a subservient, quiet Asian female, which she was not. She was also in an environment where she, you know, it was so funny. She, She was saying because she was in a more rural university in a rural environment, their um, city. And so she was saying that people would tell her, are you an international student? People would think she was international because she looked, she is, she's Chinese American. So she just, she just couldn't win uh, with this group. And, you know, sadly, a couple of times she said to me, you know, people just didn't see my identity as a legitimate identity.
0: Another thing that people seem to do quite frequently to delegitimize people's identities as Asian women scientists, mm-hmm. um, and this this happens to Asian men as well, mm-hmm. is this idea, and you mentioned it earlier, this this idea of roboticness. You had another participant, Heather, who told you about how Fellow lab members right in front of her derided another Asian American scientist's accomplishments by saying that that woman was, and here's the quote, raised as a robot.
1: Mm-hmm. Raised a robot. She could just crank things out. And again, that kind of goes back to this idea of the model minority, that intersection of model minority and Asians as being like machines. But yeah, this idea of Asians being so subhuman. There's this great research from um, Niral Shah that talks a lot about how these stereotypes really are about Asians being subhuman. And again, this model minority idea of raising up another, a group, Asian Americans, to create this wedge between other minority groups. And so we've seen that time and time again, when Asians are lauded on the one hand for succeeding and becoming successful educationally, they've risen up in status. On the other hand, they're kind of put back in their place because you're, again, not American, forever foreigner. You are uh, not human, subhuman, because you're robotic and overly involved. And that's the image that we see over and over again, even in popular culture. All of these stereotypes really do nothing except to maintain this idea of white supremacy.
0: At one point, you spoke to a woman, a third-year engineering student named Vanessa. And she mentioned that there were four white guys named John in her lab. Not four white guys in her lab. Four of them named John. John. And this sort of became central and essential to the way you were thinking about your exploration of this topic. And we should say, Vanessa was not the only person who mentioned this idea of even just the singular name John is more represented in a lot of spaces and certainly in a lot of places of power more than a lot of minoritized groups are.
1: Right. Yeah, it was It was really interesting. And that phrase really caught my ear, the first person I spoke to, this woman named Sonia, she talked about an article that she had read, and it talked about how there were more not only more white male CEOs than female CEOs, but more white men named John than female CEOs. And so I looked up the article, and then later on, as I spoke with Vanessa, because I asked everybody, tell me about your group, you know, males, females, ethnic diversity. And so Vanessa said, as as I asked her, tell me about your group. She said, well, actually, there there are four white men named John. And so I I just really thought that that was emblematic of this white male-normed system that is science. And so that's what I I titled the article, and I I used that white man named John as a code to describe the environments that
0: they were in. How would you hope people might utilize the work that you've done in this paper to to create, presumably to create better environments for everyone and, and to be particularly focused on the ways in which Asian American female scientists are treated in in lab spaces?
1: Gosh, that's such a great question. I think there are multiple levels. For me, I think one of the reasons that I wanted to write this article and do this research was because I wanted to bring these stories out. I wasn't seeing a lot of studies or articles or even stories about Asian American females and their experiences. And so I think in a lot of ways, you know, stories are a way of knowing. And these stories give you a glimpse of how people experience their environments and how they process their thoughts. In that telling, you get a glimpse of the power structures that are kind of around them. And it gives you an opportunity to really deconstruct and analyze that power system and so the other I think main reason why I feel like this research is important is that we're thinking about science again as a system that is socially constructed and if it's socially constructed then it can be deconstructed and so science for me is you know when you look at the historical legacy of science and where science came from and how we think about science, I think that's one way of thinking about what are the root causes of the problems, because it's not the women. The women are the ones who make changes and accommodate their environment, but that's not the way it should be. The system, science, this environment that they're in is what needs to change. And we can only change that, I think, by looking at how we got here and then taking those pieces apart and reimagining a different science environment, like you said, where everyone thrives and that benefits all students.
0: I can imagine a scenario in which like a, a well-meaning high school advisor would take this study and show it to a an Asian American female student who is interested in STEM and say, you know, just so you know this is, you know, what you're up against. And I mean, I guess on on the one hand that's that's right. That is what people may be up against in the STEM system, but Probably the more important thing would be to take every white male named John and Matthew and Luke and Jerry and whatever and have them read this study, right? Mm -hmm,
1: mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think I hadn't thought about it in that way, because for me, I felt like these stories were really inspiring once you got through them, because in the process... Of talking with these women, as you get, and they were so forthcoming in terms of telling me their stories. Um, but in the end, even with those students that I talked to who were fragile in a way, there was a lot of depression. People were going to counseling, and it took a lot for them to to really be successful. But In the end, I had no doubt that they would be successful. So the incredible resilience that they showed, and not just resilience in terms of succeeding and graduating, but they really wanted to make a difference. And so a lot of the women that I spoke to talked about how they saw themselves diversifying STEM fields. And so, you know, when I talked with them, there was a sense of optimism and hope. And yes, it's really bad. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be bad. It can change.
0: You are the executive director of the Caltech Y, which it's an independent nonprofit that's aimed at enriching the lives of students at a university that's pretty famous for (laughs) its academic rigor and its stresses. And so a place like the Caltech Y is important. In this capacity, you run into a lot of students. And, and I presume you run into a lot of Asian American women who are students. Do those women confide in you about the sorts of themes that were involved in your study?
1: Sometimes. I, I think it depends on, you know, the space we're in. Um, so again, creating those safe spaces for people to talk about their stories is really important. And yes, I do hear a lot of stories. And when you get a group of them together, you hear all kinds of things. So, you know, I've worked in this field for a long time. And and that was part of my motivation as well for doing this research, because I'd heard so many stories, not just from women and Asian American women, but all of these students. I, I did some I worked for a while in the what was then the Minority Student Affairs Office, and that was my first introduction to working at the Caltech Y. And so I got to know those students and hear their stories. And as I continued along in this space, hearing more and more from students, you know, and I've been here 20 plus years, and sometimes the stories don't change. And that's disheartening.
0: That's got to feel frustrating when, when you hear the same yeah. story. Yeah, I mean, what, what do you say to that? What do you do to that? I guess, I guess you engage yourself in these sorts of studies and try to try to make the difference that you can.
1: Right. I, I mean, I, I I do what I can within my sphere of influence. Um, there's a lot of efforts going on. I think higher education in general, as you look across, you know, and and I think we can attribute that to the Black Lives Matter movement, and some of the other movements around the country that are really looking at higher educational institutions as elitist, uh, racist, even just most recently, when you look at the conversation around naming and spaces and who do we hold up as models within this community, there's a lot of reckoning in higher education. And so there's a lot of effort going on in building diversity, equity, inclusion, right? Those are the words that we're using, DEI. But again, I feel like a lot of times what we kind of, when we think about this problem, we think about critical mass as the first step and bringing students in. But if you don't have this parallel change in the environment, then the students are gonna be miserable and they're not going to succeed or they're not gonna thrive. And so that's what I'm hoping will change is the environment, so that as students come in, Asian American underrepresented, minoritized students, that they can have better experiences and they feel welcomed.
0: That's Athena Castro. She's the executive director of the Caltech Y and the lead author of a recent study on the experiences of Asian women in Stem Labs which was published in the journal Science Studies and Science Education Athena Castro thank you
1: Thank you Matthew it's been a pleasure
0: Undisciplined is a production of Utah Public Radio and if you happen to live in Utah you can listen to us every Thursday at 10:30 a.m. on UPR If you miss us then you can listen to every episode of Undisciplined wherever you get your podcast Our producer is Naomi Ward. Our theme music is Little Idea by Benjamin Tissot. And I'm Matthew LaPlante. Thanks for listening. Now go have big ideas.